Welcome to the New Vision Church podcast. New Vision Church is a diverse, Bible-teaching, Jesus-centered church in San Diego, California, and exists to transform people and their communities by replicating followers of the biblical Jesus. Thanks for joining us today. Now here's this week's sermon. Good morning, guys. Good to see you. Good morning, those online, as uh, we're continuing on in our study uh, on Love Thy Neighbor um, we're praying that, uh, I hope that it's challenging you as we look at in light of all that's been happening and all that's been going on, that you're being challenged and what's God's heart as we relate to the issues that we're seeing every day. This morning, we're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 to 21 to talk about reconciliation. Uh, I just want to give a shout out to Pastor Ricky, who, who led worship, Ricky and I, where it's been a lot of years serving together. He, we were at the same church many years ago at Park Chapel, and he was our worship pastor. I was a youth pastor and urban stuff pastors. And... It's like homecoming, you know, and stuff. So, so thank you for coming out this morning and blessing us with, uh, he's the pastor now of the, of the Shelter Church over here in La Mesa. So, hey, we're going to be in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 this morning. Um, my title of my message is Be Reconciled, um, Be Reconciled uh, this morning. You know, by watching uh, television or social media, uh, there appears to be no hope of reconciliation, in fact, we have been divided as a nation, and, and to be mindful is not without its influences. Depending on the news you currently watch, whether it's CNN or Fox, it's as, you have, it's as if you have been even being influenced influence that you had to pick a side. Let me throw some observations as I've been watching over the last uh, month or so. When the COVID-19 hit, um, we were restricted to shelter in place, Right? And about 60 days after that, people begin to start feeling restless, and, and they felt the pressure, the financial stress of life, and they began to, pro, and they began to protest, and, and they hit the streets. But who was present at that time during that protest? Those who would have been viewed as the conservative right, or the Republicans, right? They protested their economic justice that they needed to return back to work. When the George Floyd uh, video hit social media and people saw the rawness of racism, it moved them to hit the streets and protest about injustice. Who was present? Those would have been viewed as the liberal or the Democrats. They protested for their right to justice. What a, what a divide. What a divide. This chasm or canyon between people seems deep, right? The gap between people seems so great in some sense that we have been conditioned to pick a side. Like two boxers in a ring, one is wearing red, the other is wearing blue, throwing blows at each other. But people haven't seemed to come up with any answer to this great divide. Humanity is at a standstill with a mad dog look, a nostrils fuming and trash talking happening. What have we really accomplished? What have we really solved, right? How do we reconcile our differences? How can we heal our land? How can we learn to love our neighbor? I'm reminded in the Old Testament of the Second Chronicles chapter 15, verses 3 to 7, the prophet has come up named Azariah, and he's speaking to the king named Asa. He really, as we read this passage, a little bit, it gives us a little insight to who we are even now as a nation. Look what it says, verses 3 to 7. For a long time in Israel, for a long time Israel has been without a true God, without a teaching priest, without law. But when their trouble they turned, but in when but when in their trouble they turned to the Lord and God of Israel and sought him. He was found by them. And, and in those times there was no peace to the one who went out, nor to the one who came in. But great turmoil was on the inhabitants of the lands. So nations was destroyed by nations. City 
by city, for God troubled them with every adversity. But you be strong and do not let your hands be weak, for your work shall be rewarded. The prophet is speaking to Asa, who had just had a great victory. But he reminds us of what happens when we don't put God in first in our lives. It, it, it gives us revelation to what happens when we've gotten away from the priority of what is priority, and that's Christ. That's God leading us. What happened when they choose not to have God first? They choose to, to really not allow the word to be present. They chose the, got away from the service of the community. They, they got away from that, and the city became troubled. And it's an interesting phase in that passage. It says this, for God troubled them with every adversity. Wow, God troubled them with every adversity? I wonder if that's the consequences, the ramification of a nation that worked without the presence of God. So now listen, it says, but be strong and do not let your hands be weak, for your work shall be rewarded. Listen, there's always an answer to the struggle. There's always an answer and a solution to the things that we are facing today. If we just put our head toward and move forward in the plow and don't look back. And that option is the ministry and the word of reconciliation. When you come into 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it opens up really with a heavenly perspective but closes with an earthly ministry. Reconciliation is the story of the Bible, right? It opens with conflict in the garden and it closes with the promise of a celestial city. This is a book about being reconciled to God and to one another. It's a story about conflict resolution, right? It's a how-to book on reconciliation. So what does this work reconciliation mean? Number one, reconciliation means renewal of friendship after a disagreement, to make friends again. Or the action of making a financial account consistent, or it's an accounting term to reconcile your books or your accounts. But biblical reconciliation means this, is the end of estrangements, a caused by original sin because between God and man. We're going to be looking at what it means to be reconciled, because when we're reconciled with God, we're going to be reconciled to our neighbor. We're going to know how to love our neighbor right. So let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray this morning as we enter into your word, Lord, I pray that you would guide and that you would lead us, that you would give us ears to hear, that you would challenge us today. I pray for us that are here in this room, and I pray for us that are online today, Lord, that you teach us your heart. You instruct us through your word, and that, Father, we would be a people that just, people that listen and also people that do, that faith without works is dead. And so, Lord, we pray this morning that you would instruct us and that you would guide us and that you would lead us. I pray these things believing that you're a God that reconciles and you're a God that changes. And Father, we're praying that you would heal our land and heal our nation and heal our relationships, Lord, and that it comes through the process of reconciliation. So we give you all glory and honor because we have the answer to the problems that we are facing today. We thank you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Guys, as we're looking at this divide, what are the answers to this divide? I'm going to look at three things uh, this morning that are some solutions. Number one, that we need to be reconciled to the one who died for all. We need to be reconciled to the one who died for all. And you see that in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 and 15. Remember the word reconciled means it's an accounting term, right? To, to, when you have a checkbook, you, you want to reconcile your month. You want to make sure that what you spent and what you have in your book match up, right? And then you want to make sure what you have in your checkbook reconciles to what the bank has, right? And the purpose of reconciliation is to keep things in order, right? To keep you accountable. In fact, it's also to keep you from fraud, 
So if anybody rips you off, and so the idea of reconciliation is to keep us from being, being uh, to be reconciled to God or to be in order, to be aligned with God. But this reconciliation, in order to happen, is sacrificial. And you'll see it very, at the very beginning, verse 14, we see that this reconciliation process is love. Love is sacrificial. Look at verse 14. For the love of Christ compels us because we judge thus that if one died for all, then all died. Look at that phrase, for the love of Christ compels us. Powerful. Underline it in your Bible. If you have your Bible here, right? Love compels us to action. There's something about duty, right? We find this in the story of Bob Beckworth. Um, he was a retired New York City fireman. And what happened is as he retired, he was sitting in his house when he watched on the news on 9-11 as planes crashed into those buildings, and he was moved by what he saw. He was watching, and he didn't know what to do. And he was sitting there watching. And for a couple of days, he watched until he heard the news of a friend's son who was a firefighter that went missing. And they couldn't find him. And so what did he do? That compelled Bob to put on his old fire helmet, dress up, and he went down to ground zero. And he bluffed his way into ground zero in order to find and search and to rescue and be a solution to the destruction one day he was standing on an old burned out fire truck and he was looking over the, the ground zero when a secret agent or service agent guy came, a secret service agent came and says, hey, can you make sure that this area is secure and make sure that truck is stable? And he's like, yeah. So he's watching and then he goes, and I'm going to host some people up to you so we could take a look at what's going on. And sure enough, as uh, Bob reached down, he's grabbing the hand of a man who happened to be President George Bush up onto that truck. And as the president got on the truck, Bob was so blown away that he tried to walk away. He tried to kind of step out of the place because he goes, I shouldn't be here. You know what I mean? And he's there. But the president said, no, you stand next to me as he began to address the media. I think like Bob, we are compelled by love to search for those who are lost and unaccounted for in the faith. We are called to put on the helmet. We are called to be reconciled. We're called to compelled by love to go out and make a difference. That is part of loving thy neighbor. And I think love is what compels us. The act of love is motivated because of this, because Christ loves us. Sometimes we talk about our love for God, but we fail to understand God's love for us. He compels us because we understand his love. I think we've forgotten about God's love. The word compelled means to be pressured that causes action. God's love for us prompts us and motivates us and act, activates us. In fact, that word love is the word agape, which means this love, this affectionate, benevolent, brotherly love. We must be motivated because God loves us. We want to love our neighbor. We start there. That is the foundation of the gospel. In fact, if you go up to verse 13, it's very interesting that Paul was writing. He's talking about how people are responding to this crazy love because they said Paul's life had so radically been changed that, that they thought he was out of his mind. They thought he was crazy because here was a guy that was a persecutor of the church and all of a sudden he transforms and now what begins to happen? He's like loving Gentiles. He's serving. He's doing all these crazy stuff. And they said, Paul, you're beside yourself. Look at verse 13. He says that they were beside ourselves, you know, that he had irrational behavior. They called it crazy love. Maybe we should write a book about that. <laughs> Listen, biblical rec reconciliation will only come to pass through unconditional crazy love. 
That's the bottom line, right? Now, even God our Father had this crazy love for us, and he was compelled, and we see that in Romans 5 eight. but God demonstrated his own love toward us, and while we were sinners, Christ died for us. That's crazy love. That's how much he loved us. Christ sacrificed himself because of this crazy love. And why? Because he was fulfilling true justice. True justice. For the wages of sin is death, but the justice of that is somebody had to pay the penalty of that sin. And so he gave himself up. He was being a righteous and just God, stepping in and taking on the penalty that we should take. That's how much God loved us. For there, there can be no reconciliation unless there's a sacrifice, unless there's an atonement, unless there's a cover-up for sin. Just like when they put the blood on the doorposts in the, in the Passover, in the book of Exodus, right? There needed to be a Passover lamb that would pass over our sin. Jesus became the Passover lamb. He substituted himself. When did he substitute? This is how crazy it is. He substituted us in, in Romans 5.10. He says, for when we were his enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. We weren't his friend. We were his enemy. That's how much he loved us. Colossians 1.20 says, by him to reconcile all things to himself, by him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Amen. What am I saying? Christ died to make a way to be reconciled to God the Father. Christ was the bridge for the chasm. He's the answer for division. As we look at the division in the world, Christ is the bridge. Christ is the one for reconciliation. But when this reconciliation takes place, there, there has to be an act of worship because love is worship. We see that in verse 15. Look what it says this. And he died for all. Underline that. He, he didn't have uh, segregation. He didn't have racism. He, he died for all, that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. How do we live today? We live for Christ. Amen. To live as Christ, to die is gain. We hear that in the book of Philippians, right? We live to worship Christ Worship is reverence to Christ. We honor him with our lives. If Christ died for us, are we not our own? We're not our own. He purchased us. He bought us. We are his bond servants, bond slaves. We can say that. Paul saw himself as that. He worshiped God as a servant of Christ. And we are to worship him with our lives. If, if he died for us, we are to live for him. We are to, to honor him daily with our lives. How do we honor Christ with our lives today, right? How do, we, how do we treat our neighbors in light of honoring Christ? Racism is dishonoring to God because we are dishonoring God's creation. I spoke about the Imago Dei a couple weeks ago, right? But I have to be careful. I don't worship the creation, but rather the creator. Let me get to my point here. Idolatry is placing other things before God. In Christ, I have a new identity. And I have to be careful. I don't substitute another identity than the one Christ gave me, right? Let me, let me explain. I don't worship that I'm brown. I worship the one who created me brown. I want you to hear that. I worship the one who created me brown because I bear his image. I'm not a brown Christian. My ethnicity doesn't determine my spiritual inheritance. Come on, come on. Now, 
This doesn't mean that I have to be colorblind, right? It doesn't mean that I don't have to be colorblind. I am not colorblind. I'm seen as a brown man, and a brown man is beautiful, just like a white and a black and every other hue, because we are beautifully and wonderfully made. We celebrate our diversity. We celebrate the fact that God created us different, but we're still in his image and his likeness. That's why he's a creative God. That's why the garden was so beautiful and his creation is so beautiful. And so we do celebrate the diversity, but we don't worship the diversity. We worship the creator of the diversity. And, and that's what we do. And I think sometimes we've lost our way and we made our ethnicity our God. We worship that instead of who God created us to be. That's the new identity. And then we're to, to worship him and, 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 and serve him and live selflessly. He commands us in the passage to, to love our brothers, to, to serve others, right? And because we are in Christ, we have become a family called brothers and sisters. We've forgotten that. He's created a new family. He's called the father. In fact, in the scriptures, Jesus is called the, the bigger brother in the scriptures. We are one community. We are one family. And I think sometimes the family got fractured because of sin, and we started bringing judgment on the family. Yet we're created in his image. We've been called to worship Christ in our selfless service. And the doors of reconciliation begins with selfless serving. And we have, we have been called to have the mind of Christ out of Philippians chapter 2, which is really the heart of God, which is to look out for the interests of others more than you look out for your own self. Look at the words and the challenges that we even get from Jesus. Why did Jesus say to walk two miles with the centurion when the law required it only to walk one? Right? The centurion would have been an enemy of a Jew. centurion would have been an enemy of the cross because we're called to love our neighbor to the extreme. Jesus said, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good those who hate you. Pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. What is he saying there? Love. What's our response to the, 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 the chasms and the, and the racism and the differences? It's to love. It's to love. He even said here, take the blows. Take the ridicule. Take those things. 1 John 3, 16 says, by this we know love. This is how we know they were love, because he laid down his life for us, and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. That's the power of love. So we first need to be reconciled to the one who died for all, because in that reconciliation, it sets up the foundation for us to be reconciled. And so what does reconciliation do? Reconciliation brings about changed lives. We see that in 2 Corinthians 5, 16 and 17. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, we know him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. To be the change... We need to change, right? I've done a lot of weddings over the years. And in a wedding, the bride is escorted uh, by the father or a significant relative down the aisle, right? She walks down the aisle as, as maybe as Miss Jones. And when they stand in front of me, I ask a question. Who will give this woman to be buried to this man? And the father will say, her mother and I do. And at that moment, the new man takes his bride and makes their confession of commitment and vows. And at the end of the, the I do's, there's a new identity change. She no longer is Miss Jones, Mrs. Smith. This is a transaction that takes place when we make our confession in Christ. 
We, his bride, his church, takes on a new identity, and we've been given this new nature, this divine nature, and we become a new creation in Christ, and the old life is gone, and the new life has become. So let me, let me share this with you, right? An unreconciled people walk in the natural. They don't walk in the spiritual. They don't understand spiritual things. In, in the natural, we lose our perspective of the, of the spiritual. And so often people on the physical, when the battle is spiritual, try to address the physical when the battle is really spiritual. It says that Jesus came in the flesh, it says in that verse. We saw him in the flesh, right? And many saw him, and they saw him as he did miracles, and he saw as he raised people from the dead. They saw him, and in fact, the apostle Paul, who's writing this letter, probably as a Pharisee, witnessed some of those very things. Though we know he has an encounter with him in Acts chapter 9, we'll look at that in a moment. He probably, as a young man, saw this Jesus, heard about Jesus, baby, baby, as a young man, experienced some of the things that Jesus did, right? But he shares in 1 Corinthians 2, 14, that the natural man doesn't understand spiritual things. In fact, the natural man calls spiritual things foolishness. That's why the world today says the church is irrelevant. That's why the church says, the church, when the racism hit on the streets and things, they don't look to the church. They look to their own ability and their own thinking and their own ways and their own mediums because they don't even see it as spiritual. They only see it in the natural but the Bible says we wage war, the war that we battle, the battle we fight is not physical but spiritual. But they don't even see it in that way. People don't see it that way. And so the master man will only service out of his own desire. We read that in Galatians 5, 19 to 21. That's his answers. A lot of people are going to try to come up with a lot of solutions. And they're going to come, a lot of, come up with a lot of laws. And they're going to come up with a lot of different things. But we have all the laws. We have all that. And man is lawless. That's why he doesn't obey the law. The law of the Bible is to love, and we can't even do that, right? He gave us two laws to love him and to love our neighbor, and we couldn't even do it. We have 300-some laws in the Old Testament because we couldn't do two laws. And look at our nation that has multiple thousands and thousands, a library of laws that we can't even obey. And you think we're not going to put another law in that people are going to obey it? They're not. They're not going to obey it because we are lawless people that have to be reconciled back to God and the law of love needs to transform our lives. Amen. That's the law that we need to walk in. So when Jesus was walking this earth, they first saw him as a, a man who walked, but then he needed to go, right? He says, I got to go that another would come. There was a promised gift that was going to give us, and that promise was going to be the Holy Spirit. And he says that I, I got to go, that I can give you a gift, which is going to be my Holy Spirit, the third person of Trinity that's going to be the power in you that's going to bring about transformation. Come on, come on. I, I love Paul the Apostle because after he becomes born again, he sees the potential in all men. He doesn't see him in the physical. He sees him in the spiritual. That's what happens when we become changed by God. We look at our streets and we walk our streets. And now I don't look at it as a man that's black or white or brown or Asian or yellow or whatever it is, Islander. I see him as a creation of God that has so much potential because God created him. That's how we begin to change our environment and our culture when we start looking through the eyes of God. Jesus gives us a gift to do that. He gives us his spirit, and when he becomes born of the spirit, then we start walking in the spirit because we walk by faith and not by sight, 2 Corinthians 5, 7. When people are reconciled to God, people walk in the spirit. Reconciliation leads to regeneration. Reconciliation leads to regeneration. 
Look at Paul on the road to Damascus. We know his story. We know his testimony. He was a, a religious Jew, a Pharisee, part of the Sanhedrin. He had all the power. He had all the prestige. He had all the fame, right? He was the one who protested Christianity. He robbed and looted, had people beaten, killed prior to his life being chased. He opposed Jesus until he met Jesus. On that road to Damascus, on his way to persecute the movement called The Way, he met Jesus and he had an encounter with Jesus that knocked him off his high horse and something supernaturally changed his heart. And the very thing he hated, the very thing he fought, the very thing he opposed became the very thing he loved and now speaks about in the scriptures. He doesn't protest anymore. He starts to proclaim. That's what he does. That's what Jesus does. And so what do we see here? We see this man who's transformed, right? We see this man who's changed. He protested against hatred when he spoke about their hate, the Jews' hatred toward the Gentiles in, in Acts, Galatians 2 and Acts 15. He spoke about injustice when he talked about lawsuits in courts in 1 Corinthians 6, 7. He spoke about how love does not rejoice in injustice in 1 Corinthians 13, 6. That's what love does. It has a voice. It has a voice. Reconcil Paul's life being reconciled to Jesus transformed him in such a radical way that he becomes a reconciler. Think of Zacchaeus, the tax collector, in Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19. He's the chief tax collector who worked for the Roman government. He ripped off his own Jewish people with taxes. He was like the godfather of the tax collector. He was like, you know, he was the one who would put money on top of the taxes to, to fill his pockets. He was the Benedict Arnold of the Jewish faith. He, he was the one that, they were despised. They were hated. He was the godfather of corruption of the day. You know, Matthew was a tax collector, right? We know that. Matthew would have been under Zacchaeus because Zacchaeus was the dawn of the godfathers, right? And Matthew would have been under him working for him. But what we see here is, is that Jesus traveling through Jericho and that was a rough town, a ghetto town, because we talked about the Good Samaritan Road, on Jericho Road, on Good Samaritan. So we know it's a pretty rough neighborhood. And we know that Zacchaeus is this little short dude who wanted to see, about, see Jesus. He heard about Jesus, hear about the words of Jesus. He climbs up into a tree so he could see Jesus as the crowd is surrounding Jesus. But Jesus sees him. Nowhere do you, nowhere do you see in the story that Zacchaeus had an encounter with Jesus, but he said, Zacchaeus, come down from there. Why did Jesus know Zacchaeus' name when they never even had an encounter until this moment he's in a tree? Because God knows our name. He knows us. Zacchaeus, come down from the tree for today. I'm going to your house, and we're going to break some bread together. We want to break racism. We want to break the hostility. We want to break down the walls of hostility. We better start having some meals from brothers that are different than us. And he called this man, Zacchaeus, down. He came in and took him into his house. And you know, Jesus got blasted for that, right? He got blasted for it. He eats with tax collectors and sinners. Now, we don't know what conversation happened, but it must have been a powerful conversation. Because he came back, he was willing to give half his wealth to the poor and repay restitution four times the amount taken. Jesus said, salvation has come to this house with God and with others, reconciliation, reconciliation. And he compelled Zacchaeus, the love of God, compelled him to give back that which was taken, restitution. Think about Philemon in the book of Philemon. 
right? Philemon was a, a believer who had a house church. It's only one chapter. It's only one little small book in the New Testament. And he owned a slave named Onesimus. And, and Onesimus ripped him off and, and then he fled. And he ended up in Rome. And it was here where Paul met Philemon. And Philemon came to faith. He came to a relationship with God and he was reconciled. And in the letter, what's this whole letter about? This whole letter is Paul advocating for Onesimus to Philemon. Now a brother of the faith. He once was unprofitable, but now he's profitable. Because that's what it means. His name means profitable. He's profitable to you, Philemon. We see that in verse 1, uh, verse 11, the first chapter 1. Be reconciled to him. Don't receive him as a slave, but receive him as a brother in Christ. See, what he meant for evil, God turned to good, right? If he owes you anything, look at Paul. If he owes you anything, Philemon, Paul says, put it on my books. If he owes you anything, put it on my books. I will repay it. What happened? Philemon became reconciled to God and reconciled to Philemon. Onesimus became reconciled to God and reconciled to Philemon. See the peace taking place? That's the answer for our division. Romans 13 says what? To love does not harm, does love does no harm to our neighbor. Our neighbor is those around us. Whether, whether Philemon saw it, Onesimus was his neighbor. Though his was his servant. Something changes us when we have changed a heart. Anyone in Christ, anyone in Christ, the door is open to all to gain a new identity to become a new creation. And Jesus just broke down the class systems and the race systems and the educational systems and the ec economic system. It, we become, in this passage, a woke church. Ephesians 5.14 says, Awake you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. He's awakening. Maybe this struggle, maybe God allowed this trouble as we read in Chronicles 15 to awaken his church into realities of things we've been asleep in. Maybe he's using these tribulation trials times to awaken us up to say, guys, you're, you're blindsided. You're, you have some blind spots as a church. I'm going to address those things. And maybe in a room, God brings conviction. That's why we have isolation. Because in, and sometimes in our isolation, we get revelation. That's how we got the book of Revelation when John was isolated on the island. Maybe in our isolation, God awakens us to some realities and some revelations and some truth of who we are as a people. But as we close... Reconciliation is our mission, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 18 to 21. When I was in high school, uh, I, I had side jobs. And most during the summertime, I worked for a company called S.E. Rykoff, which was a food company. They actually were a, a large company in downtown L.A. They had multiple warehouses, and they would provide food for the restaurants and the military. And so when I was 15, 16 years old, I, was, I worked in, the, in, the, in, in uh, the, the warehouses and the manufacturing offices. And one of my jobs was to work the mayonnaise line. Now, the mayonnaise line is this, that they would pump mayonnaise into these big containers, and then they would, put, uh, they would put them down a conveyor belt, and I had to put the lid on them, grab them, put them in a box, seal the box, and, and stack them. I did this for like 10 hours a day during high school, man. It was, I'd come, smell, come home smelling like mayonnaise. It's terrible. Slipping everywhere. And everything from the oil and the grease. Now, let me tell you something about mayonnaise. We know that water oil doesn't mix. And in mayonnaise, it contains water and oil. But it also contains eggs. Eggs is an emulsifier. Emulsifier is a, a food additive used to stabilize and process, stabilize processed food. But in order... In, 
but in another way, it begins to, and put it another way, it begins to put things together, otherwise they would never come together. In mayonnaise, the eggs brings together two entities that would not normally mix together with one another. The egg infiltrates both so that they are able to come together and be a solid substance. The gospel is the emulsifier. It unifies people who normally wouldn't mix. It's the answer to the racism. His people influence the message of reconciliation, which is the gospel to all walks of life. That's what he's called us to be. We're the substance that holds everything together. We have the message. God gave us a ministry and a message of reconciliation in 18 and 19. Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, God was with God was in Christ, reconciling the world himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed, given us, the word of reconciliation. Well, first of all, I want you to understand this as we looked at the very beginning. God initiated the reconciliation process. We did not initiate it. In fact, in the garden, when Adam sinned, he hid, and God pursued Adam. The gospel is God pursuing man for reconciliation, not man pursuing God. God searched us out. That's how much he loved us. Because the Bible says no one loved God. We all fall short of the glory of God and the standard of God. No one seeks after me, it says in Romans 3. But in the fact that we've been reconciled to God and we have this relationship with God and we've been changed by the power of God, God's given us a ministry of reconciliation. He's given that to us as individuals and as a church. That word ministry is word diakonos. We get the word deacon, which means we are servants or waiters, that everyone has a ministry, whether you realize it or not. Pastor Peter, I don't know what I'm doing. You have a ministry to be reconcilers, to be peacekeepers, right? That we understand that we are in a battle, and every believer has to, to bind their feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. We're in, a, we're in a battle. That's what we're seeing out here. Every Christian is a minister of the reconciliation and has the responsibility of bringing harmony where there is conflict. Put another way, Christians are God's peace corps. We are God's peace corps, right? So he's given us this ministry of reconciliation, and then he's given us a message of reconciliation. So we're positioned to be ministers, and then he's given us the words to be ministers of reconciliation. We have the words of peace. We have the message that God has reconciled the world to himself. We can trust God's message. We can trust God's word. And the message of forgiveness is that if they come to faith, they won't be charged. Think about that. He's imputing, he didn't impute their sin upon them. He didn't impute their transgression upon them, right? That's good news. When we come to faith, we're not going to be charged for the crimes that we committed because we've been paid, that those crimes have been paid for already by the blood of Jesus as we stand at the judgment seats. He has placed in our hands his written word to, and that we could be the catalyst to give his spoken word. And it's our responsibility to vessels of reconciliation. And then what did he do? I've given you this ministry. I've given you this word. And now you are my ambassadors, he says in 20. Now, when we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God, right? We are Christ's representatives, his ambassadors, his diplomats in this world. We become his spokesperson for Christ. We are his mouth, feet, and hands. The church is now the incarnation of Christ. Amen. The church is now the incarnation of Christ. We speak on behalf of Christ. Be reconciled to God. 
men that have broken relationship. Many of us might have some broken relationships with our parents and with our family and with our friends that God wants us to forgive and to mend and reconcile with. He says, forgive or you will not be forgiven. Extend mercy or you will not be extended mercy. Jesus, those are the words of Jesus. That we are living in a time that we have, we have been so offended that we don't even want to talk and be reconciled. That people don't even want to go to the table anymore. They don't even want to talk. They just want to give their opinions. But that is not our heart. That is the heart of the believer, right? And then what Christ did as he closes in verse 21 is that he's, he's made reconciliation possible for all. For he, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, right? He changed the price tags. He changed our place that we might become the righteousness of God in him. He became sin that we might become righteous, right? He made a way for reconciliation because greater love has this than no man than this, that he laid down his life for friends. Reconciliation starts with humility. Reconciliation starts with humility. Jesus humbled himself and went to the cross. It starts with that. Guys, What's this answer? What's the answer for this divided world? It's the word reconciliation. It's the word reconciliation. Number one, reconciliation is the gospel of love. Reconciliation is the gospel. We're, we're bringing a message of love. Reconciliation is supernatural transaction that brings about transformation. Transforming our own hearts. Starting with us. Lastly, reconciliation is our mission as a church. Is our mission as a church. And the only way we can have that mission is to build relationships with one another, to have time with one another, to be with one another. That's why he says, do not forsake the fellowship. That's our time of gathering. But the church is not just church. We gather on Sunday morning for two hours. It's a time for us to go out and break bread together to support one another, to love one another, to carry one another's burdens one another, to deal with our own biases and our own, our own issues as a people, to acknowledge our own shortcomings, to acknowledge those things. I think when we start taking our own those things, I think the walls of hostility will come down. When we take, start taking ownership of our own racism and our own judgments, our own what ideas, and he starts breaking down the walls, then conversation starts to place, and then reconciliation. That which was separate will now come back together. That's the ministry that God has called the church to be a part of. Reconciling us one another to God and being reconciled to one another. You have to have this before you can have this. That's, that's the plan. That's the plan that Jesus gave us. And he's called us as a church to be a part of that plan. That's what it means to be reconciled to your lever. To be reconciled and to be reconciled to your neighbor. We starts there. You know, we've been having, um, I'm going to call the team up, the panel up here to come up here. And, um, and I want to have discussions. So Anna and uh, uh, Carmelo and Jesse, come on up, guys. Uh, have a seat here. As, uh, um, I want to get a different perspective um, this time as we've been having this panel discussion. Guys, grab your seat and mic. Um, the last couple of weeks, or last, the last couple of months, we've been doing these panel discussions about the message and having dialogue. And I, what I decided to do um, this, this uh, Sunday was to bring some of the younger millennials in 
as we've talked with our perspective, we talked with different pastors and leaders here, but the young people have a perspective that we need to hear. They have a perspective of how they're seeing what they're seeing on the streets, how they're seeing with the COVID, how they're seeing with the race, how they're seeing this. If you guys watch what's been happening, this, 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 this thing that we're seeing happening is different than what happened to LA 92 with the Rodney King's riot. It's a whole different perspective because back then it was just in our country. This is international. This is worldwide. What's happening as it relates to racism, as it relates to loving our neighbor, as it relates to that. And so I wanted to, uh, this, this younger generation sees it with a different lens. And so I wanted them to share a little bit their lens a little bit. Even though we might not agree, we may agree, we don't know, because we're all trying to learn. We're trying to have this discussion about what it means to be reconciled to our neighbor, what it means to be reconciled to God, what it means to, to what does that look like? And everybody's taking it from their own lens. So guys, is, uh, thank you for coming uh, this, this morning to sit. My first question to you is going to be, first of all, in light of what I just shared, what was the first thing that stuck out in your mind as it relates to what's happening, what's, what you're seeing, what you're hearing, and then what does God's word say? What's the first thing that just popped in your mind as you were hearing that? Just maybe share a little bit. Um, I think that um, the world is, is hurting and it's broken, and outside of God, we look to our wisdom and to what we've learned throughout our life growing up. Um, like, if we took God out of the equation, which I feel like a lot of people are trying to do because they want to figure out, oh, what am I supposed to do? My wisdom and the, like, the philosophies that other people are teaching us and how, like, that's how um, Paul was talking to the Corinthians. Like, you guys have come to Christ, but you guys are still holding to your philosophies of what you were learning back in uh, um, Athena or some other place that was there. But... Um, I feel like um, if we don't have Christ in it, then we we fail because we not we don't have the heart of Him, and we're only going to be able to go as far as our humanly bodies go, and that's until we die. Um, so, just the word reconciliation came into my mind, just because like when I was in college, the majority, the biggest similarity I had with non Christians was just searching for justice. Like all my friends, we saw how much the world was hurting. And honestly, if they were here right now, they would totally agree with what we just said. Like we want a world where we don't want to see our brothers and sisters hurting. Um, and I think that starts with just having uncomfortable conversations. I don't know when we stop having those because just because we're not talking about it doesn't mean they're not there. Um, and trust me, I think a lot of young people, we want to know, like, why are we being held from the truth that happened in our country? Or even now, like, all this stuff. Like, I want to talk about, if I make you uncomfortable, I'm so sorry. But, like, let's talk about police brutality. Let's talk about how the church acts like Pharisees, where we try to uphold the law more than the suffering of people right next door to us. Um, and I think once we acknowledge these things in our hearts, we can now bring them up to God. And now we can start praying about them. We can start fasting. And I think that's when we actually see true healing and transformation happen. Jess? Um, I basically want to echo what they said. Uh, there's just so much division. I even see it being a mixed uh, guy in my own family where one side of the family believes this, one side of the family mm -hmm. believes that. <clears throat> And because my family is, is separated now, there's none of that conversation that you were talking about. Um, and it seems that sometimes as Christians, we can get caught up in all this and we're like, why isn't this 
right? Why isn't this right? But it's as you said, the world can't be reconciled. Neighbors can't be reconciled to each other if you're not reconciled first to God. You have to be reconciled to your creator before the creation can be reconciled to each other. Um, I think about Chris, me and him, we look alike. We got the same skin color. We got similar ethnic backgrounds. Some people even think we're brothers. Um, but we think very differently on these things. And as you said, we have to have those uncomfortable conversations. And we both need to come to the table humbly saying, okay, what may I have wrong? I'm a sinner, so I definitely don't have the infallible truth here. So what is wrong in my perspective? How can I learn from the other? And when we get together and we have the humility and we're able to listen to each other and learn from each other, I think then you can have real reconciliation. Hmm. You know, it's, it's hard when you talk about reconciliation because in some words, um, it's a biblical term, okay? Um, and so for people to understand that, it's hard. Sometimes as a church, we'll use biblical terms, but the world doesn't understand these biblical terms. What would be a better way to communicate this gospel message as young people using words that people could understand? How would you go about talking about reconciliation with your friends? So what does that look like as you're communicating to a world that doesn't know this language? When Paul the Apostle came to Acts 17, it was a, a predominantly Greek culture. It wasn't a Jewish culture. And so he talked about a statue up at Mars Hill, and he talked about a dip, used a different language. He actually quoted poets. He actually quoted different people about this relationship they could have with this unknown God. So we live in a culture now that doesn't speak the language of the church. But we're talking about reconciliation. How would you guys go about as young people with your friends, contact, communicate the gospel in a way that you, they might understand using terminology that they might understand? I know that's a hard question, but how would you go about that? I think as a young person, I think actions speak louder than words. Here's an example. Um, my sister, she's here with me today. Thank, thank you, Jesus. Um, and I remember, because I started coming when I was 17, but she didn't come till last year. And I remember that when I came back from studying abroad, when I was a junior in college, um, she actually came out to me as bisexual. And um, she was really scared at first because she didn't know how I was going to react. Um, just because she knew that I loved her, but she was afraid that, like, just because, um, she was afraid because she's seen the history of the church being hurtful towards the LGBTQ plus community. So she was scared that I was going to reject her. And I think that literally broke my heart because I feel like right now, like, young people, they see our actions. Like, if we talk about this, right? Every single day, like, yes, we love you so much, but if we don't show it, they're not going to listen to us. They're not going to provide a space where Christians should come and for them to say, you know what? God loves you, and this is how I'm going to show it. What does that look like? That could look different things. Young people, we like to um, write, sign petitions. We like to protest the right way. We like to, <laughs> um, there's a lot of, see, even that, we should have a conversation about that. Why are we not having a conversation about like stuff that's happening in our country? Um, but that also requires us to be trained in providing those safe places. If we're just going to provide those spaces just for us to condemn them and like just bring words of the Bible that supports our opinion, nothing's going to happen. I think part of it is um, just because we, we, we get saved and we become that new creation, sometimes we, we ultimately forget where we came from. Mm. Um, 
Similarly, my, my twin brother, we've been FaceTiming every day since COVID started, and we've been doing Bible studies and talking, but um, what I've been trying to do is just be real with him, tell him how I'm struggling and not try and sugarcoat it, just be like, hey, I am dealing with this. I'm, I still love God, I still serve Jesus, but this is a sin in my life that I, I have to deal with. I'm not perfect, I'm not, I have no self-righteousness of my own. I think sometimes because we, we wanna push the past away and we're like, I'm a new creation in Christ. I don't wanna remember the old me because that old me hurts. That old me um, would, would weigh down on me. That old me was horrible. That we forget that we need to share that with others who are still in that place um, and help them become that new creation in Christ. I think that's some of the biggest thing that people feel that when you're talking to a Christian, you just, there's this disconnect because they start acting like a new creation but forget that they were once old. They forget that they were once sinners and lost. And so I think for young people, that's the biggest thing. I just want honesty. I just want you to be real. I just want you to be open. I don't want no secrets. I don't want you hiding anything. I want to see everything for what it is. And when I see that, then I'm like, okay, you're real, you're authentic, and this is legit. Um, for me, like, um, I became a Christian like six years ago. And I wanted to, like, I was trying to share with God, with everybody, oh, man, like, yes, you need Jesus, you need Jesus. And then I, I tried to talk to my brother about Jesus. My brother is a, um, a criminal. He's in prison. He's been in prison for 16 years. And he told me, he goes, I don't deserve forgiveness. I don't, I killed these people, and now I'm doing life in prison. Like, I'm good. Leave me alone with that. I don't want to hear about God. I don't want to hear about those, you're, you're saving God. And I, I, it was... The biggest time in my life where I was doing ministry all the time and all I was doing was spending time with kids, doing youth group, going out, having fun. And he would call me. He says, I just want you to talk to me like a brother. I was like, okay. And then he goes, what did you do today? I was like, I went to church and I talked to kids about Jesus and told them how they need him. And then he's like, oh, man, here we go again. And, <laughs> but it, it was being consistent and because he wasn't seeing that I wasn't like living two lives. I was being consistent throughout my life. And then I went to go stay overnight in prison up there and he goes, um, and he had been doing good. And, and he goes, oh man, like I haven't stabbed anybody this year. And like, you know, I haven't really gotten into any fights. And I was like, you know what? It's sad because you and my mom, you're not Christians. And it's, it's sad for me because if we drive home, it's a five hour drive from Kern Valley. And if if we can do a car accident and we die, like you guys won't be with me in heaven. And my mom goes, what, why not? Like I do car shows for dementia. I do um, all these shows and I'm spending time doing all these good deeds. Like I'm a, I'm a do-gooder. And I was like, the Bible says that all your good deeds are filthy rags and they're gonna get cast into the fire of hell. Like outside of Jesus, nothing matters. And the, when we react with people, like how I would want to talk to them and saying, like, do you know what your life is gonna be like? It doesn't matter how much we gain today. It doesn't matter how much we have here that we can get on our like capitalism and all these things or what status we get to, but it's about our relationship with God is where our eternity is sealed and, and how we live our lives. And that's why we do good. And that's why we, are, um, um, we can have that name Christian because we have taken on that likeness because like he paid the price for us that we couldn't pay because it took a, a lamb without blemish. It took a sacrifice. Like, I, I say, yeah, I'll, I'll die. Like, you know what I mean? Take me to heaven. Like, I pay for my sins. But it's like our, our sacrifice isn't enough. 
because we have blemishes, we sin, we think bad, we, we have a selfish ambition, we want to be better, we're not looking out for everybody all the time. Because like you were saying, like, none of us are good, none of us seek after God like all the time, 100%. And when I would share that with my brother and telling him that's what the Bible says, it's not me telling you what I think, it really helped him be in perspective, and then it came to a point where he had to make the decision for himself to make a relationship with God. And he's been following the Lord for a year now, and it's just like, it's so crazy. You know, he's like, and thank God for laws being changed because it's helping him get out. But he was a murderer. He deserved to go to prison. Like, and that's, it's hard for me to say because I, I hated the system, and I hated everything about the government and everything about cops being younger growing up. And then when I became a Christian, I learned how to forgive, and that's what helped me heal. And we, I know a lot of people that are going through this, this pain with you know, the, the lynching and the racism, and then there, there are wounds that are just being torn back open. But when we come to Christ, we have that time, and he heals us. And, and that's our message. That's what, what, like, if we're ambassadors, we're not speaking of what our lives are. We're speaking of what God has called us. We're not civil, like, People in another land, we are ambassadors, we are spokespeople, like you were saying, that um, we don't speak on our own behalf, we speak on God's behalf. We're telling people what they need to hear and in ways that we, like, I'm, I have a lot more hood communication, so I can reach a, a different people group. Anna, and you guys have more like an educational background, so you guys can talk to people in a different kind of bracket. And so we all, God has a place for each one of us to communicate the truth. And so that's how I feel communicating to them. I'm listening to the young people here, and they're bringing up some good points. I find it, even, even what you said, Carmelo, that we have to be all things to all men that we might win some, right? And God's placed us in certain places and communities, um, you know, and, and he's put us there so that we can have that imprint in people's lives by building relationships, and relationships will build reconciliation, not just with us, but also with God. And, and, and being authentic in what you're saying, I think the pro just wants us to be an honest church. It wants us to be a real church. That we're not perfect people. And sometimes we feel like the church on our part has made us feel like we have to be perfect instead of just being, just being people that God is redeeming and sanctifying as we go. And so I want us to be mindful of that. Guys, thank you for sharing this morning as we're talking about reconciliation as, as the means, as the, the bridge that's, that's built for the chasm that we're fighting in our own nation is divide, that God is the reconciler. And then when we get right with God, then we'll be right with our brothers and sisters. Amen? Um, guys, as we, uh, I know coming out to the worship, worship team's going to come forward here. Uh, let's pray in as they come forward. Father in heaven, thank you, Lord, for this morning. Thank you for your love and your blessings. Uh, Lord, we pray that your word uh, was manifested in such a, a powerful way that people understand and that it's fallen on good sort. Father, may we be people that are reconciled to you and reconciled to one another. That has always been your heart. Father, the whole gospel, the whole Bible is about relationships and reconciliation and restoration. And so, Lord, I pray these things, believing that you are more than able to do mighty things. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for joining us. Contact us or learn more at our website, newvision.city. See you next time.